much dearer than all that the world can impart was the message which came to my heart. How the Jesus alone for my sin did atone and Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all. My past with his guilt and stain, my guilt and Jesus took on him there And Calvary covers it all How matchless the grace When I looked on his face of this Jesus, my crucified Lord, my redemption complete, I then found at his feet, and Calvary covers it Blessed the thought that my soul by him bought shall be his in the glory on high, where with gladness and song I'll be one of the throng and Calvary covers it all Calvary covers it all my past with its sin and stain my guilt and despair Jesus took on him there and Calvary covers it Suppose God searched over heaven and couldn't find one worthy to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed. To provide eternal life for you and me. Oh, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary. Had it not been for the old rugged cross. Had it not been 
for a man called Jesus. Then forever my soul would be lost. I'm so glad that he was willing to drink that bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he didn't call to heaven's angels. From my hands remove these nails that torment me. called Mount Calvary Had it not been for the old rugged cross Had it not been for a man called Jesus Then for a so glad that Jesus went to that old rugged cross. Well, it's good to see you. How wonderful it is to gather together around the Word of God. And it has been good to see some of our friends that we haven't seen in so many years. And um, I, I want to tell you something. If you haven't seen people in 30, 35 years, you, you may ponder as you say hello as to who they are. <laughs> Be careful what you say. And uh, I, I wouldn't have Tim uh, Heinzel to know this. He's your brother. I wouldn't have him know this, but he came over here last night and gave me a great big hug. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, that's a handsome young man. <laughs> and I thought, and his wife was standing there. I'd never seen her before. And um, he had his son with him, didn't he? And I just thought to myself, I wonder who they are. <laughs> and thankfully, thankfully, something was said. I knew exactly who it was. Don't you ever tell him. <laughs> because I talked to him five minutes or so and I had no idea. <laughs> well, it's good to see all of you here tonight. Let's open the Word of God. Now, this is a strange passage of Scripture that I want to use just as a background. I'm not going to exposit this passage of Scripture. Uh, I just want to read it because it's such a beautiful story. And it uh, speaks to the thing that I want to talk to us about tonight. So you'll open your Bibles then to the book of 2 Kings, way back there, and the 7th chapter, if you will. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 and read through verse 9. But when you see how verse 3 all the way verse 9 is a lot of material really. But uh, I want you to, it's just a beautiful story. Uh, I'll begin reading in verse uh, 3 and we'll read through verse 9. That's 2 Kings now chapter 7. Now uh, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said one to another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter into the city, the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. 
So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army so that they said one to another behold the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents their horses and their donkeys leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said one to another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. What a beautiful story from the Word of God. These four lepers were good witnesses of good news. They they found a way to make good news good news to people who really needed to hear good news. I tell you, friends, they represent the very thing that you and I should do, should learn to do, should always do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we spoke on Sunday, remember, on what is the gospel. We spoke last night on what is saving faith, how that gospel is transmitted to us and changes our lives. Now, tonight we want to talk about what we ought to do with the gospel now that we rejoice in it, now that we know that we're accepted of God fully and freely on the basis of His grace. What should we do with this story that we read in the pages of God's Word? There was an old seminary (coughs) that uh, had a custom uh, in the seminary. Everybody knew about it. Uh, But some of the students were always very cautious for the chapel services because they had a custom there where on any given morning the president could, uh, could point out one of the students to come and bring a message uh, for the chapel that day. Now you can imagine going to chapel with that hanging over you, a possibility of being called to the platform. Well, that was the case with this young man. And he said to him, said, you are to preach the sermon today. Well, this young, you know, being a a pastoral student, wanted to study for the ministry. You can imagine he was quite unprepared to preach a sermon, probably. Uh, But nevertheless, he came to the platform, but he was a nervous wreck uh, by the time he got there. I mean, he could hardly speak. And his mouth got dry, and his knees were knocking, and his hands were shaking, and his mind was reeling. And he was stammering. And finally he got out these words. How many of you know what I'm going to say today? Well, nobody raised their hand because they had no idea what he would say. And he says, and neither do I. (laughs) And he went and sat down. Well, the next day the president, being a gracious man that he was, wanted to give him a second chance. And so he pointed to him again and said, listen, uh, you are to bring the sermon today. Well, even greater fright gripped him. You can understand that stage fright. And his voice began to tremor. And uh, finally he got the words out. He said, how many of you know what I'm going to say today? Well, Everybody then thought that what he was, and he raised his hand. He said, well, if you know what I'm going to say, there's no need in me saying it, and went and sat back down. (laughs) 
Well, this got on the uh, president's nerve, uh, but he said, being the man he was, I'm going to give this kid one more chance, and that's what he did. And so he called him to the platform once again, and uh, he uh, was more nervous at this, you can understand this, more nervous this time than ever before. So finally he got the words out. He said to them, how many of you know what I'm going to say? Well, half of them raised their hands, and half of them didn't. And he said, well, those of you who know, tell those who don't. (laughs) And he went and sat down. Now, you know, I don't know of a better, I don't know of a better definition of a witness or a missionary or a preacher or a Christian that wants to tell the story than this. It's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Those of you who know, go and tell those who don't. See, that's what God says that you and I are to be involved in with this great gospel that we have received, that we've come to believe, that we know is real in our lives. And so, folks, the the gospel of Jesus Christ waits for us that we may take it unto those who really need it. Now, you know, when you study the Word of God, especially the Gospels, you kind of get the picture of what Jesus was doing as he went out to preach the gospel. I mean, there was something about him uh, and the way he talked to people that people picked up on right away. And you know what it was? I mean, when they heard him preach, they said, they said, he doesn't talk like the Pharisees. He doesn't talk like the scribes. There's something different about him. And I'll tell you what I think it was because the Bible kind of points this out in some of the ministries that Jesus performed and ministered to people while he was here upon the earth. And I think it was this. He, unlike the Pharisees, unlike the people that always heard, he had about him a compassion that was unmistakable. He had a compassion for human beings. Even little children picked up on it. They were not afraid to come to him because he was a compassionate individual. And I think that showed in his life. In fact, the scripture says this, when he saw the crowds looking out upon the multitude, the citizens of Jerusalem and Nazareth and all of those towns in which he preached, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why would he have compassion on them? Well, he says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. His heart went out to them. Now, the word compassion is the, uh, is, that's the comes from the Latin language. The, the Greek word for that, the equivalent for that, is the word sympathos. Now, you see the little, little uh, uh, prefix there, S-Y-N, means with. And the word pathos means suffering. And those Greeks, when they would have a friend uh, that was hurting and that was in travail or perhaps distressed, and they tried to enter in as a friend into that person's life to help them, the word that described that was the word sympathos from which we got our word sympathy. Now, the Latin word equivalent to the word sympathy is the word compassion. Now, what does it mean to have compassion? Well, there again, C-O-M means with. Passion means suffering. We talk about the passion of Jesus. And by the way, the word passion, did you know, is almost obsolete in the, in the uh, English language. It means something else. Now, it used to mean suffering, and it still does for those who, who may remember it before it evolved to something else. But the passion of Jesus has to do with what? The suffering of Jesus. So the word compassion with suffering means that you try to alleviate the suffering, the pain, the burden of someone that you love 
in entering in to help them or encourage them or to lift them up in some kind of way. And the Bible says that Jesus himself was moved, moved with compassion. I think that's very wonderful that he was compassionate. And of course, I believe that this is the heartbeat of evangelism. I don't think we can do evangelism apart from the fact that we have a passion for it. You see, we live in a broken world, and we live in a world of hurting people. We live in a world where sin has wrought its worst upon the nations of this earth today. Where all of the all of the borders of nations today bristle with with, with machines of war and rockets of war of mass destruction. This is the world in which we live. Even in our own nation, we see what's happening to us. And oh, listen, if there's ever been a need in our country for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's today. But, but I'll tell you, the only people who will go for it and the only people who will be successful in it are people who have compassionate hearts. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who can give us that. Now, if I were to say some, something about compassion... I would say this, first of all, that there is a scarcity of it. There is a scarcity of it. We're living in the midst of a cold and callous generation today. It has been called the me first generation. Selfishness is, is rampant in our society today. The me first thing. And we were warned about it in the scriptures. Our Lord Jesus warned us about it. He said this. He said, and because iniquity sinfulness because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold you know i used to turn the television on at breakfast to listen to the news i don't do that anymore you know why because i don't like to eat breakfast with with talk about muggings and killings and all that our news in Atlanta, Georgia now, is the muggings and the killings and the rapes and the... Uh, all, this is the news of our city. I mean, it, it, this is the condition of our society today. And there's only one hope for that, folks, and it is the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ. But you know, we lack compassion in our society, I think, today. But, but the fact is, not only is it scarce, but if you, if you read your scriptures, you'll find that this compassion has a, a sacred effect uh, to it. In fact, uh, there was a time in the book of Ezekiel when God was going to judge Israel. <laughs> you know, Israel was, they were God's people, but they were bad God's people. They, those people never behaved themselves. They never kept the law. They was, uh, you know, they used to have a 50th year where every, everybody got freed from slavery. And, 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 you know, everybody made a big thing of that. But Israel never kept that the first time. And finally, God just said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to put you out of your land. I'm going to bring punishment upon you. And you know, he did. He, he brought to Syria there to take them into slavery. And then he, 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 he transported the others into slavery a few years later. But I want to tell you something, folks. When God got ready to judge his nation, he brought these wicked people in, more wicked than Israel, to judge them. And Ezekiel gave this information about what God said just before this judgment fell upon them. Let me read it to you. The Lord said, obviously Ezekiel's talking about some angels here. He talks about a man with almost like a, you know, some kind of a book. He's going around writing and taking names and this sort of thing. And, and so the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark, now watch this, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. The people who sigh, the people who cry over the sinfulness of this city, put a mark on them. 
And then he says, go you after him through the city and smite. Now notice, smite. Let your eye, let not your eye spare. Neither have pity. But come not near the man upon whom is the mark. And begin at the sanctuary. In other words, there was something about those men that was sacred. Those who cared. Those who wept over the condition of Jerusalem. There was a sacredness about it. And then, of course, I think one other thing that's very prominent about compassion, and that is the strength of it. You know, the people that God uses in the Bible had a compassionate heart. They had the ability to care really deeply spiritually about the condition of people, especially the people of God. I read about Moses. You remember him. I don't know how Moses ever ever stood the job God gave him to do. And you know, he was up there getting the law coming down. And while he was doing that, the people said, he's been up there four days. We don't know what's happened to him. Let's make us some new gods. And so the high priest, <laughs> you know about that story, <laughs> his brother Aaron uh, said, well, okay, let's do it. Then give me some of your earrings and give me some of your gold. And, your, and he took it and melted it and fashioned golden calves. That's what, that's what they worshipped in Egypt. Now Egypt's coming back on them, you know. Where's Moses? I don't know about that thundering, lightning, fire. I don't like that. Uh, Voices, bugles blowing. Makes me nervous. Let's get some gods we're familiar with. And, And so he made those golden calves. Now the thing is that Moses came down and he was very angry with the people. But let me read you this brief passage here. And Moses returned unto the Lord and he said this. He said, all the people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. And then the next verse is a very strange verse, even as it's translated in our Bibles. He says, and yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and then there is a dash and a semicolon. It's an unfinished sentence. What happened to him? And he says now, notice what he says, and yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and his voice trails off, and it's as though he's through with his talking, but he went on to say, and if not, what? Blot me, I pray out of the book that thou hast written. You see what he was saying, folks. He was standing in the gap here. He was standing for his people, and he said, Lord, if you're going to slay them, and they deserve it, they're worthy of it, let me go with them. I tell you, friends, that's compassion. He could feel, even though there was... They were filled with rebellion at that point. He had a sensitivity for them. Had a compassion. And he said, Lord, if you take them, take me with them. Blot me out as well. Well, he wasn't the only fellow in the Old Testament. There were men like Jeremiah that had compassion. You know what he was called? The weeping prophet. That was what his, that was his moniker. And he he said things like this, Oh, that my head were waters. Why did he want a head of water? He said that my eyes could be a fountain of tears. Why, Jeremiah? That I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Here's the heart of a prophet broken. He was a minister to the people of God. And then that's not only Old Testament stuff, folks. When you come to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul on three occasions, I know, uh, talked about weeping uh, within his own ministry. You know, Paul was a writer. He had the tears of a writer too. He said this, for, for, uh, he says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, 
I wrote to you with many tears. When he'd write to the people of God, he would weep. He said it again as a worker. Listen, he said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and many tears. It wasn't an easy job what he did in bringing about the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the pagan. That's, that's who we were. We weren't Jews. We weren't Hebrew folks. We were the pagans. We didn't have the law. We didn't have the temple. We didn't have the prophet. We were pagans. We had the pagan gods. Paul himself went to people like us. And it was not easy because he had to start with the Jews and he couldn't get the Jews out of the way to get to the the pagans to preach them. And when he did preach to the Gentiles, the Jews didn't like it. I mean, he was pulled and twisted in several different ways. And he said this, he said, For many walk of whom I've told you often, and now I tell you weeping that they are they that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Folks, let me tell you something. If there ever been a need in our churches today for compassion, for caring, for concern, it's now. Because people will not persist in taking the gospel unless, unless God has broken their heart and lets them see the need. You know, we live in a generation when they talk about felt needs. Churches used to go out and have a survey in the community and find out what people wanted, what they felt their need was, and then come back and tailor their church to fit the needs of the community. The only problem with that is that nobody out there lost in their sin ever felt the need of God. They felt the need of nice people. They felt the need of love. They felt the need of tenderness in people and kindness and and maybe, uh, you know, companionships and that kind of thing. But none of them ever said, look, I I need God. Well, isn't the message of the church that? That these people who are lost in their sin and facing judgment, isn't the fact that we, these people need God? They don't know it, but we know it. And God says that we ought to be out there giving them the gospel. Oh, you say, but Brother Jim, it's so hard. I understand that. I'm, I sit in pews too. I know what it's like. You know, God doesn't make, make it easy for any of us to talk to people that don't want to listen to us. That's not an easy job, but nevertheless, that's a job He's given us. Now, let me just for a few minutes... I'm going to try to let you go tonight for 10 o'clock, honestly. So just relax, okay? I'm going to try to get you out of here. So, but, but I just want to, I want to take you with me for just a, a little bit to the kind of people that Jesus went to uh, with, this, with this message of love and compassion and miracles and those kind of things. The first I would say would be this, and it's a big class of people, many perhaps in this church. Jesus had compassion on weeping people. Do you ever weep? Have you ever come to the place in your life where where sadness has overcome you? The loss of a loved one, the loss of a job? all kinds of needs that we face as human beings in our relationships and and we just weep. And especially do we weep when our folks die. Well, that's what happened here. The Bible said, now when he came to the city gate, behold, there was a dead man carried the only son of his mother. And she was a people and there were much people following in that city. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said, weep not. And you know what he did. He reached over and touched the beer, not B-E-E-R, folks, B-I-E-R, casket. Not slits, but he didn't reach over and touch a beer and have a drink. 
the B-I-E-R. That's an old word that people don't know what it means anymore. He touched the casket. And when he did, the man sat up in his funeral. (laughs) That's unusual, isn't it? To just right in the middle of it, sat up. Well, why did Jesus do that? Well, the Bible said he had compassion. Folks, our world is filled with tears. I mean, our hearts are broken all the time. I think of poor Mary, who said for Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And when Jesus got there, he'd already died. And the Bible says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews weeping, uh, which came with her, what did he do? The Bible said he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And by the way, that word groaned is, is the kind of word is hard to define. If I would describe it, it would be this, like the snorting of a horse. Something that comes from way down inside a person. That, that groaning, that emotion, that compassion. And when he saw him weeping and Lazarus dead, he groaned in his spirit. I've been preaching to Baptist folks now 60 years regularly. And I don't know how many times I have been with families out there in the cemetery groaning, weeping. It's a wonderful thing to know that I can recommend them to Christ because He loves weeping people. I remember when I was a young preacher, I went over to the First Baptist Church in Langley, South Carolina, and uh, was having a meeting there, and the pastor said, Jim, I gotta, I gotta go to a funeral. A little baby died, and they want me to have the funeral for it. And he went and had the funeral, and he said, when he got back, he said, I'd like for us to go in the morning and uh, see the family. They'll be at home. And so we went to that little bungalow in which they lived. And when we walked in, they were both just weeping. Here they were, surrounded by all these unused toys. And the little mother's heart was just broken. Oh, she said before we could get seated on the sofa, I want you all to tell me if I could ever see my baby again. That's what she was interested in. And the pastor had talked about, you know, David losing the child and he couldn't go to the child and child, you know, I mean, the child couldn't come to him, but he could go to the child. And that's what he'd preached the day before. And anyway, to make a a, a sad story short, I said to her, I said, do you, do you, do are you folks believers in Christ? No. The husband said, I sure would like to be. Well, we took the Word of God, and, and we shared the gospel with them. And, and man, they were pushing me. No, normally push you away. They were pushing me. They won't know more. And then just a little while, I said, would you like to bow here and pray and talk to the one who, know, who loves weeping people? And they said, yes. And they knelt among all those toys and trusted Christ as a Savior. I, I tell you, I'm so glad that when people are hurt and when they are crushed, I'm so glad that when I go and see them, I've got something really to tell them. I've got something really to help them. It's not like the pharmacy. His his stuff may help, may not help. But what I got and what I'm going to tell them is going to help them if they listen to it. Because it's it's from this one who is interested in people whose hearts are broken. And, and then not only that, but what about the wounded people? You know, people get wounded in life. And Jesus told a story about that, didn't he? You remember about the man who was beaten, left half dead on the Jericho Road? And the religious people came. He came the priest. He came the Levite and took a picture of him with their Apple phone and... So they could show the kids when they got home what it looks to get beat up on the side of the road and ask them to be careful. Religion passed them by. But the Bible said there came a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. 
But a Samaritan came. And you know what he did. Got out off his, his ride and put the man upon, he substituted his place. That's what, that's what that compassion does. It, it, you take the place of the beat up man, you give him your place of ride. And, and took him and, and promised to, that if they'd take care of him, he'd pay for it. And by the way, folks, I want to tell you something. That's, that's what compassion will do for you. It'll, co- it'll cost you. If, you. if you have love in your heart, you really minister to people, it's going to cost you. It's going to be sacrificial. Sometimes you'll suffer for it. And, and, and all of these things, but how blessed it is. You know, I read a story years ago. You ever read the Reader's Digest, some of the stories they used to have were just kind of really sweet. I never forgot this. I never read much, but I never forgot this one uh, about the kid that wanted the, the puppy so bad. I don't know what it is about boys, little boys and girls. They love the little animals, don't they? And he wanted uh, a certain kind of puppy. And there was a man just a, a block or two away that had those kind of puppies. And he learned about it. So he went over to see if he could buy one of those puppies. And uh, he said to the man, how much are the puppies? He said, he said well, I'm selling them for $20 a piece. He, well, his countenance are up. He said, do you have money? The boy said, I got a dollar and 68 cent. He said, well, I'm selling for $20. The little boy said, well, I don't have the money. He started away. And the guy said to him, son, wait a minute before you go. He said, I've got a little puppy here that I'm not going to be able to sell. He, he has three legs and part of a fourth. Uh, would you be interested in that doll, in that little puppy? Oh, his eyes light. Oh, yes, I would be. He said, well, you can have him free. He said, no, I'll buy him. Here's $1.68. I'll take him. And he took the little puppy and he hugged him and he kissed him. <laughs> I'm way up in age. Now, I never kissed a dog in my life. <laughs> but little kids do. They kiss them. Grown people do too, I think. But but as he turned, the, the, the man just wondered, why would a kid take a puppy like this? He said, why would you do that? And he pulled his breeches leg up. And from his ankle to his knee, there was a brace. And he said, mister, this puppy's going to need a lot of care and a lot of love. And I think I know how to do that. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. I read that little story and it reminded me of how Jesus is. He found us all crippled. He found us all beaten up. And he too paid a price. Far more than a dollar sixty-eight. And he called us to himself and he said, I think I know how to take care of this one. Because the Bible doesn't say he himself was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. These are the kind of people Jesus went to. He went to these wanderers, these sheep. These sheep. Did you know when God calls you a sheep, you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be boasting about it. He called you one of the worst animals ever made and put on this earth is a sheep. Did you know that sheep are the dumbest animals ever? Have you ever seen a circus trained sheep? You know why? They can't, they're too dumb. They can't be trained. They're dumb. And not only that, they're directionless. That's why they got to have somebody to say, hey, okay, the grass is gone. You see this? Hey, come here. Directionless. They, they can't find their way. They're defenseless. They're not fixed for fight or flight or anything else. So when he calls you a sheep, don't be prideful about it because he's saying, you little dumb animal, you little directionless animal, you little defenseless animal, look, I'm here for you. I'm the good shepherd. I'll take care of you. 
Oh, he was moved with compassion because he said they're hungry and they're sick and they don't have a shepherd. They're like sheep with no shepherd. And a sheep without a shepherd don't have a prayer. But he looked upon people that way. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Did you ever read that poem, the 99? Is that in our songbook? If it is, I'd like for the pastor to sing that for us tomorrow night. I'm sure he'd be glad to do that. The 99? I love that poem. It talks about this very thing. You remember there were 99 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills far away, far off from the gates of gold. Away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here your ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew. How deep were the waters crossed. Nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through. Ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry. Sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, what are, these, what are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? Oh, they were shed for one who had gone astray. Ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, what are these hands so rent and torn? Well, they were pierced by many a thorn. All through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back His own compassion. Oh, how wonderful that is. Jesus has compassion on people like us. He has compassion on, on those who grow weary in life. You know, folks, my son was here last night. And one of his weaknesses was always telling people that I could do something for him. If it was a funeral and no, they didn't have a church, nobody to care for him, you know what he would say? My dad will take care of this. And he'd call me and say, Dad, this, they want you to preach a funeral. And of course, you know, I'm not going to turn him down. You know, it's my son. I don't know who the people are, but, but I'd go and do it for him. And uh, so he called me one day and said, uh, Dad said, I've got you a funeral. And I told him, Son, I'm not looking for funerals. Can you understand? Well, you're a preacher. You can help them, Dad. And uh, he says, but you really need to help these folks. And you know what it was? It, it was the, the, uh, a young man was wrestling He and his father got into a tussle over an old shotgun or something. Now, they were not not angry to kill one another, but the gun went off and it killed the boy. Well, they put the father, of course, in in jail. and, And the daughter of the family called me and said, Are you Greg's father? I said, Yes, I am. She said, he said you would preach the funeral uh, of my brother. And I said, yes, I'll do that. And you know what she said? She said something I never heard. All the years I've been preaching, nobody's ever said this. She said, preacher, we don't know anything about God in our family. We don't know anything. None of us ever went to church. And said, if you preach the funeral, could you tell us something about God? And I said, really? She said, yes. And I said, yes, I will. I'll certainly do it. And I went to the funeral home. 
And boy, my heart nearly broke. There stood that father, gray hair, white beard like mine, tall, lanky fella in an orange suit with chains on his feet and his hands and standing at that casket weeping over his son. Greg told me he didn't mean to do it. I don't know what the result of that was. But it was at worst man, some kind of manslaughter. It wasn't murder. It wasn't enmity. Just a, they, they just shouldn't have been doing what they was doing. But anyway, I honored their wish. And I told the congregation that I've been requested to tell this family something about God, and I intend to do it right now. And when I got through preaching, I said, if there are those of you here that are interested in your own soul, I can at least pray for Eurasia. Man, hands shot up all over the place. All over the place. And I thought, isn't this wonderful? Here I'm fussing about about a funeral of folks I didn't know. And what an opportunity it was to, to, to give the gospel to people at one time who say we want to know about it. Well, you know, God arranges those things. Those are not happenstances. He's providential in the way He handles us. And oh, I want to tell you folks, it was a wonderful thing to see the Lord come into a place and deal with a situation like that. Well, on and on we could go. Again and again, the Bible said, and the Lord had compassion on them. The wasteful. You remember that poor guy that went to his father and said, I want my, li- I want my part of the family now. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I wish you were dead. That's the only time you get your inheritance is when your father dies. That's what he's saying. I wish you were dead. Well, his father gave it to him and went out and wasted every penny of it. Ended up homeless. Eating same things pigs ate. And the Bible said he came to himself. And he said, my servants, my father's servants have to do better than I'm doing now. I will arise and go to my father. One day that old man looked down the road, and I suspect he'd been looking for a while. He looked down the road, and he thought, that boy walks just like mine. That could be him. And it was him. What was the father's attitude? He did what old men were not used to doing in the Jewish culture. He ran. Young, young men run, not old men. But he ran and met his son and kissed him and hugged him, ordered a feast for him. But the important thing is this. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. That's what I like the best. He had compassion. He had every right to chasten him, ignore him, rebuke him. But he had compassion. That's the way the Lord Jesus is, people. God needs people with hearts warmed and blessed and even broken. I suppose some of you here tonight probably have some kids in the in the family that are not saved, or maybe a husband or wife. Folks, don't give up on that. Don't give up on that. God will use you as a vessel, as a tool to be a blessing to someone. Don't give up on it. Don't think it's over because it's just taken a while. We never know how it's going to turn out. We just keep praying, and we keep loving, and we keep talking. What do we do with the gospel? We tell it. We scatter it. We sow it. We give it away. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to do that, if in your heart you want to do that, I'll tell you what God will do. He'll put more folks in your path than you could ever believe. You don't have to go look for them. I don't, have, I don't ever have to go looking for somebody to talk to. They're right in my face all the time. Everywhere I go, are people I can talk to about Jesus. And I'll tell you this, and I'm through. But years ago when Mabel White Baptist Church, you ever, any of y'all ever hear of Mabel White Baptist Church? 
Mabel White Baptist Church, a big church down in Macon. Jimmy Waters was pastor there for years. And I pastored a little church down in Cochrane, Georgia, Southside Baptist Church. And the Baptists were having an evangelistic meeting uh, up at uh, Mabel White Baptist Church there in Macon. And uh, so two pastors and myself agreed to get together, and we went to that conference. And, and, and they talked about preaching the gospel and witnessing the gospel and how we as pastors could stir people up to do it and do it ourselves. And, and, and man, when we got in the car and headed back to Cochrane, we were sky high. We wanted to give the gospel to everybody we could. And uh, we were talking about this in the, in, in the car going home. And we was going down the old Cochrane short route. And the, and the road that takes you to that Cochrane short route out of Macon is a two-lane road with a median in the middle. And so as we were going down that particular section, we noticed that in the median was a, a beautiful white Cadillac in the middle of the median. You could tell it's broke down. I didn't know Cadillacs ever broke down. <laughs> and, and, and the guy standing beside it, now this is what's strange, had a white cowboy hat and he had a black suit with cowboy boots. A handsome man. He looked like Ernest Tubb. Now, some of y'all don't know who Ernest Salve is, do you? <laughs> yeah, I know you're older than you try to t- let on. And, and we passed by, and boy, something turned over inside me. And I said to the driver, I said, turn around, let's go help that man. He said, Jim, we ought to go. I said, turn. Well, he turned right around and came right back to him. And we said, what's happened, sir? He said, my, my car just quit that I was riding down this road, and it just quit. And I said, well, come on, we'll take you to a service station and see if they can find out what's wrong with it. So he climbed in the back seat. I was in the back seat. And boy, it occurred to me, here's my chance. I said to him, uh, I asked a stupid question, brother. I said, are you a Christian? That's the worst way you can start talking to folks, you know. Uh, they know what's coming, so they get out of your way. I said, you a Christian? He says, no. I said, I'm a Hebrew. And I thought, uh, Hebrew. Let me see. Hebrew. What is a Hebrew? It occurred to me, he's Jewish. And I said to him, you're Jewish? Yes, he said. Oh, I said, I'm so glad to meet you. Our Lord was a Jew. Yes, I know about that. I said, well, what, wh- what's going on? He said, well, said, I'm from Sunsweet, Arizona. And he said, my wife was a Lutheran and she died three months ago. And since then, I've just been like a leaf in the wind. And I went to see in New York City... A Christian Jew. Now, I don't know, some of these guys were on the radio, and I don't know which man this was, but he'd been up there to see this Christian Jew and talk to him. He said, I'm just, I've just come from there. He said, in fact, I was reading my Bible in the, in the uh, hotel this morning. And I thought, man, this is getting better and better. And I said, well, you know, we've just come from an evangelistic uh, meeting over here, and, and let me tell you what they told us. That's a good way to do it, wasn't it? And I took out my little Bible and I said, listen, you know, and I started giving him the gospel. And he was looking over to see, see if that was a, what kind of thing it was I was holding. I said, this is, this is God's word. And I began to tell him about Christ and died for sin. And finally, after I gave him a simple gospel message, I said, now let me pray for you, will you? He said, sure, I want you to do that. And so I bowed my head and started praying. Then I heard some scuffling. And I didn't know what he was doing, but he's getting out of the car. And, and he started hollering something. I couldn't tell what he's hollering. I just kept on praying, you know. You just don't ever let anybody get, maybe sacrilegious, just quit praying, you know. So I had to finish my prayer. And when I did, I heard what he was saying. He said, I found him. And, and I said, what? 
And one of the preachers said, he said he found him. I said, you found him? Oh, yes, the Messiah. I found had his hands up in the air. I didn't hardly know what to do with that. It occurred to me that this man, Alphaeus, had been searching. His wife was a Christian. He talked to a Christian Jew. He came to some ignorant preachers. And we gave him the gospel. And while I was praying for him to be saved, obviously God filled his life. I found him. He said, I found him. And finally we got him calmed down and got him back in the car and said, we'll take you to the... To, to the service station now and get your car fixed and you get on your way. When we got to the service station, we loaded him down. We had all kind of stuff from the meeting, you know. We just loaded him up. And one of the pastors reached in his pocket and got his calling card and handed it to him. And, and we hugged him and said, we will pray for you. I don't remember what his name was, but, but he was from Sunsweet, Arizona. And uh, we left him in the parking lot with his hands up, I have found him. Now, here's what's so strange. Here's how small the world is. Not long after that, the, one of our pastor friends who didn't go with us heard about this through the man that ran the service station. The man who ran the service station was a member of this pastor's church. And said he wanted to know why you preachers left that man hanging out in his parking lot with his hands up hollering like that. He himself was a Christian, and he said, I found out that he was, had been saved and said it was wonderful. Said I had a good time of fellowship with him. And then we went down to see about his car and I got in to crank up the car and it cranked up. And said so we took it down to the service station said I looked for what could be possibly just cut off. We couldn't find anything. And so all I knew to do was just let him go. And that's what he did. And now here's the stranger part of it. One year, or a little after, a little over a year, the preacher that gave him his uh, card, I I met in the bookstore up there in Macon, Georgia, and he said, Jim, come here a minute. He said, I want to tell you what I got last week in the mail. I said, what was it? He said, you remember that Jewish man we met down there in the median? I said, yeah. It's from Sunsweet, Arizona? Yes. He said, I got a letter from him. Well, I said, what did it say? He said he just wanted to thank us for talking to him about Jesus. Said he came back and joined this Baptist church, and they baptized him, and they were now wanting him to teach a boys' class. <laughs> I said, my goodness alive. Now, folks, I didn't have to pay anything to get, get that done, you know. This is what God does. If you'll open your heart, if you'll get serious about people that need help and helping people, God will put more folks before you than you can ever handle. And this is the greatest need we have in our world today, especially in our nation today. We need to get out the gospel. And the gospel you know, the gospel you've received, the gospel you believe. Now, it'd be a shame, wouldn't it, not to tell somebody about the thing that made you so different in your life. If you'd cured cancer and kept it to yourself, how would people think about you? Well, we're not talking about cancer. We're talking about sin. And there's a cure for it. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how we praise our compassionate Savior. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for giving to us a salvation full, salvation free. And now, Lord, make us to be good servants. Make us to be good witnesses. Help us to be like those four lepers that said, we are not doing right keeping this to ourselves. Let's go tell the king. And Lord, help us to realize to hold on to the gospel and not to share it. We're not doing right. Help us to share it with people who are, who are, who are going through life disappointed about sin, disappointed about Satan's weak promises, unsuccessful life they've lived. God, help us to be good servants of Jesus, to be good witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I know that in this service tonight, most of you probably are Christians. I don't know who you are, anything about your spiritual life. But I do know this, that if you're not a Christian, Jesus loves sinners. He said this, come to me, all ye that labor. Say, sin's heavy, labor. All you that labor and are heavy laden, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. I'll take these things out of your life. I'll give you a life worth living. But you come to me. He's calling you to come to him. And if in your heart you feel that you want to be saved, you want to know this Savior, well, folks, you can do it right where you're sitting, right where you are, at your, heart, at your home, in your car, wherever you are, you can do it. But, oh, don't put it off. Don't wait. Come to him now as your Savior. God bless you. Brother Pastor, you want to come, and, and uh, you can give the invitation as you wish tonight. You know the people better than I do. Jim, are you going to lead us in a song? Page 194 in your book, if you'll turn there and stand with us, please. 194. upon which Jesus died is the shelter in which we can hide and its grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain as wide as the sea there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross for you though millions have come there's still room for one yes there's room at the cross for you